So a huge welcome to episode 51 of Two Pre-Cells in a Pod. And we've got Mr. Adam Freeman. Hello. And Mr. Mark Green. And hello, my- everybody. Oh, hello, hello. <laughs> and myself, uh, Don Carmichael. So the, the three of us. Um, uh, Tom will be joining us soon. He's busy today. Um, and uh, for this uh, particular episode, we thought, do you know what we thought? If we went, we're now on episode 51. We've been going, what, 18 months, maybe, you know, a little bit long, 20 months now. Um, And one of the things we thought we should do is really just stop and reflect on what's actually changed over those last 20 20 months. And if you think about when we first started, when was it, September 2020, we were kind of right in the middle of, um, you know, all the lockdowns, you know, huge amount of uncertainty. And we knew things were probably never going to be the same. But I think maybe even then, a lot of us imagined that, well, this was just a pause. We were in a pause. You know, what we did before, we'll come back to that. But of course, now we know that, you know, a lot of people talk about 10 years of change in two years. And, you know, we've come and starting to come out the other side of things and we realize things will never be the same. So we just thought, wouldn't it be really interesting to just kind of pause and have a discussion about, you know, how much has changed in our role, our profession, our craft? And, you know, what's here now that wasn't even here two years ago? So, yeah. Yeah. So let's just, you know, put your headphones on, sit back, relax and, you know, and hopefully um, we'll be entertained. But yeah, it's really interesting that you say so much has changed because there are people in the industry now that weren't in it before. We like two and a half years since since people were transitioning into a COVID world. The way that people do pre-sales now is so different. My number one tool before COVID was, and this is Don's top tip, was always take a pack of decent whiteboard markers with you. <laughs> well, I mind that's moved fairly far down the list of top things for a pre-sales person. Adam, you know, I know you've got all kinds of top things now for for helping people become pre-sales people. Mm. I think what's it what's interesting, I think we should just make the point that, you know, as much as some people listen to thinking, yeah, yeah, everything's really changed and we'll go through something changed. I think there'll be some people listening to going, yeah, phew, thank God I'm back to a more normal way of working. Yeah. And I think that's where the gulf between what normal represents for our profession has probably never been wider. I think as we went into lockdown, if we think about it, we were all about turn up, you know, projector in hand if you're old as um, as me and Don for sure. But, you know, turn up, see a customer, um, take things like the whiteboard pens, you know, be captivating, be, be visual. We were talking about things like icons and stuff, you know, and how to draw. Actually, that was one of the skills we were exploring very early in the in the podcast of we thought, well, soon we'll be back in front of customers. And we just thought that's how it'll pan out. Now, I appreciate we've got people in 50-odd countries listening to this. Not every country is going to be in a post-pandemic world yet. But for sure, in the UK and what I speak to of people in the US particularly, no, they are back in front of people when they want to be. And that's the big thing I think has changed, how we interact with people. We've gone through two years of everyone being a postage stamp you know, replica of themselves, you know, that passport photo image, you know, nobody's had legs for two years or anything below the kind of mid torso. Um, and I'm going through that spell right now of going, wow, you're taller than I thought you were going to be. Or yes, I am, I'm actually six, six foot two. And when I now be, be, meet people, they're like, oh, I'd, 
Yeah. I, I didn't think that. And I can confirm Mark is taller than you would think he probably is, <laughs> to be fair. Um, but, you know, we are, we're going through that, that kind of relearning how to adapt with people. And I know the first time I went on site and saw a, a customer, it almost felt a little bit awkward. I don't want to say awkward's the wrong word, but do you shake hands? Do you not shake hands? What's the etiquette? Um, realistically, it's been probably two and a half years since we've been normal, because even as we were in that early pandemic phase, before we really went into a lockdown, people were elbow bumping, if you remember. There was even people like tapping ankles at one point. Like, how should we interact on site? And how much does a prospect or a customer want you to interact on site? Where do we work? How do we work? And this interaction, there's a lot of people now more comfortable with remote meetings. Yeah. I was going to say, it's almost like two alien species meeting for the first time. Yeah. You know, what do we do? Touch tentacles or something. Or what, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but the people aspect to this is just, I mean, there's a huge thing as well. The other thing we were talking about just before we pressed record is that um, now on the network of people that we work with or, or our ideas about um, who, who we influence, you know, what our role, our profession, our craft is and who we influence and who we should be, you know, networking with and making contact with it. it that's changed dramatically as well, isn't it? Is that um, I think it's Mark, you used to have this phrase uh, that we are, what was it? Masters of the mid funnel. And it was all about beforehand was the, there's a sales thing happens in the funnel. And then we get, you know, you do your discovery bit which is, you know, that's a service we provide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right, okay. And then you do your value proof bit, which is probably a demo or it might be a proof of concept, a proof of value. Um, and then that's it. That's your kind of involvement in everything kind of finished. You know, masters of the mid-funnel, hand it back to the, the salesperson who go on to, you know, do a bit of discounting, get it closed, and, and that's it. Doesn't look, it really doesn't look like that at all, is it? In a subscription consumption world. Great case in point. I visited my first customer yesterday in person since the start of COVID. And you're right. It was really, I, I had a mask on at the start because I didn't want to assume that they were comfortable with it. And then they said they were. And then, so I, so I took it off and then there were other people in the office and I'm like, well, are they okay with it? And I just had to get on with it. But meeting people face to face was excellent. And then we had someone also join via teams on a laptop pointed at us with the whiteboard also in the room. So I was whiteboarding to, I mean, it was a hybrid meeting. Mm. And so those sorts of things are starting to happen. It's just, it was, it blew my mind. It was wonderful and scary and brilliant all at the same time. And then you're right. The activities that we can now get involved in, because it used to be traveling to the customer to do the demo. Now, because the demo is such a lighter, easier approach, because it's it can be virtual and people are okay with that. Now you can have, you can be in meetings before higher up the funnel, or you can have meetings, get involved in closing meetings and closing demos. Cause you wouldn't necessarily go and do a closing demo. You might have a closing phone call, but you wouldn't travel back up to Manchester or whatever and do another closing demo. But now you can. I think what I've noticed as well, if we think about two years, is um, I think some of the ways of working and the creativity in our profession has probably never been stronger. There's so many kind of ideas coming through on opening your eyes. And one thing I would say is I've probably replaced the time I would have spent traveling, networking. Something I consciously tried to do was really build my network. I've always valued a good network. Um, there's a lot of people listen to the show that obviously we all interact with um, as well. And that's one of the best things about lockdown. It's given me time to really 
connect with a lot of people and therefore get new ideas into my way of thinking. And what I love about when you see things on LinkedIn, I saw someone literally working on a Friday. They obviously owned some kind of, you know, camper van or motorhome or or whatever. They'd gone off to somewhere really pretty. They had Wi-Fi. They were working there. And they could perfectly find work by the side of a lake. Okay, somewhere pretty. Two years ago, that never would have happened. It just it just wouldn't have happened, or it might have in the very minority. And so the ways of working and the ideas coming through, I think, are now so much better than they were two years ago. Yeah. One of the other things that's just struck me as well is, do you know what? Two years ago, I, d- I didn't know idea how many people worked in my profession. I mean, we knew we had a problem with job titles, but um, we've just gone through two years, and you know, there's a whole new software category that's being created. You know, a kind of pre-sales category uh, tools. There's a there's a whole load of investment has come into those tools. We've got we've got communities. You know, we've got um, uh, the pre-sales collective, and we've got kind of huge virtual events that are in their third year now, like uh, Demo Fest. You know, which I think all of us are a huge fan of. And mm-hmm. um, all of these things didn't exist kind of two three years ago. And um, you know, I. We now know people are doing the research. You know, one piece of research said there were 0.8, you know, 800,000 people in our profession and craft in, uh, was it the USA and EMEA? Another piece of research has said that they think globally there are 1.8 million people of us. I had no idea about that. You know, you know, we're a huge growing and important. And, and by the way, when I say growing, that same piece of research said there, what was it, 210,000 open opportunities globally? I mean, I'm confirmed on, I've definitely grown over lockdown, right? Like, you know, not just the profession. I think my waistline definitely grew over, over lockdown for sure. Yeah. But you're right. The industry and uh, has become far more visible. And, and you know, you mentioned DemoFest. A few years ago, you wouldn't have believed that if someone said, we're going to run, a, run an event only for pre-sales, well, not only for pre-sales, but like focused on pre-sales, um, you would never expected for there to be thousands of registrants, you know, and, and attendees. I mean, you would have never proposed that, but now it's the reality that we live in. And I say to, I mean, one of the things you could definitely say the big change from two years ago is how much emphasis has been put on our profession in terms of pre-sales. If we were sat, um, it's quite nice because it feels like we're almost sat around in a pub, kind of having a chat about what's changed. It's quite nice, actually. It's quite fluid, but. You think about how very, very different pre-sales as a term is from two years ago. And I think there's so many people fundamentally disagree with the term pre-sales because it's not what we do anymore. It's not really what we represent. But actually, if you look at it as an overarching term, um, it's so much more visible than it was two years ago. And yeah, I think pre-sales collective have done a really good job of that. I think companies like Consensus have done a very, very good job with that. I think the emerging tech does that. Would all of those emerging pieces of tech have the time to deliver on what their products are if they hadn't have had the pandemic? I don't think so. Okay. I think the time that we all got given back has accelerated the entrepreneurial spirit that was probably always in our profession. I think people maybe losing, you know, their jobs, unfortunately, through furlough and stuff has accelerated that as well. Um, I think the way our customers buy has put more emphasis on, on pre-sales. And so naturally, and it's really lovely to see how much credibility as a term we've got. I'm still waiting for the day when I walk into a room full of my friends and say, hey, yeah, I'm in pre-sales. They understand what it means. But (laughs) I think there's definitely more spotlight. There's more kudos. There's more focus within our organizations on pre-sales. And that's the, I think that's a brilliant thing to see. And I think there's more both time and money being spent on on Mm. pre-sales and buyer enablement as well. So time, because 
suddenly we're, there, we're having more of a seat at whichever table it is that we want and money because people are starting to understand the value that pre-sales can bring to an organization because they're being allowed to. They're being freed up to go and bring more value rather than just do a demo. See, I mean, there's another thing as well as salaries. How much, because this is going to be an interesting question talking about salaries. Uh, um, I mean, it's fascinating. So what now, three years ago, um, you know, again, thanks to consensus, they did their SE compensation and workload report. And I'll be honest, the first report, when it talked about what the compensation was, uh, I, I was quite shocked. I remember us discussing that, Don. I remember being in my back garden, and this was pre-podcast. This is when me and Don used to connect and just chat, and this was where the idea for the podcast. We spoke about that report specifically, didn't we? Yeah, it's, it's um, this. This is a well-paid role, mm-hmm. you know, as in very well-paid. Oh, well, yeah. And there's a and, lot of people, not you know, not just straight salary, but uh, and a, you know, commission quota, that kind of thing, that, that it's made up of it. But also, you know, options and things like that. This, this it, you know, this is a well recognised and well paid role, and and you can see, you can see now, you know, that this is pulling a lot of people in. How do I get into this industry? You know, I want to, it. It looks fun. Well, it does, and and it's being a great draw for people because when we look at the the median salaries that, that even ICs are having, individual contributors, the base is average of $115,000. And then it's just so much more than as an option when you leave college or you leave university or you leave another job. To go into the sales world is a valuable place to be. But to go and become a salesperson which was the classic way to move into a revenue generating part of the business is a very scary thing. You know, you get your own target on your head. It's a number, it's cutthroat churn is fast because you must perform. And if you don't perform in the next quarter, you're out. Well, pre-sales is part of that world, but it's less pressure. It's more skilled perhaps in the areas that people have come up through different industries in. And so it's a very viable prospect for people to move into. It's it's attractive, isn't it? Because it's consulting with people. You know, we're definitely moved towards that. And, you know, I've I've got this consistent joke about what a real job title should be from the perspective of the buyer, which is a real job title should be the person you actually wanted to speak to. (laughs) Because, you know, when people click the button on the top right hand side that that says uh, book a demo, um, you know, they they laughingly think that's actually what's going to happen when we all know that you're going to end up speaking to a BDR who will eventually talk to, you know, uh, pass it through as a, uh, a sales qualified lead to a, an account exec, let's say, and then, you know, eventually get access to them, you know, that, that credible kind of person who knows the technology, you know, the business, the value um, and the, the domain. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, it's, it, that's a very attractive thing. And, it, the, and these words we started using about the role, about, the, you know, the, the network and the people that you now um, you can influence, you know, that, that's, a, that's a really attractive thing, I would have thought, you know, especially if you've come from, let's say, a technical background, you know, we all kind of want to prove our chops, look at how, you know, how good I am. And, it, and it's almost like if that's what's driving you, the, the role has completely changed to kind of encompass that and allow you in different ways. We were just talking again before we press record about people who, you know, not just all over LinkedIn, but but kind of TikTok, you know, like their TikTok videos, you know, Instagram, all kinds of different kind of social media to kind of promote 
you know, what it is they know and what it is they're doing. And I part of the generation that doesn't understand TikTok. And I'm, I know that I've got a finite amount of time in the industry before my misunderstanding of it become means that I'm irrelevant. And that's because there are people that are taking advantage of it. I mean, that's Adam, what? I'm sure, would say I'm irrelevant, <laughs> irrelevant already. I would not say. I absolutely would not say that. But I love an overhead projector. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's interesting is, and we've seen the kind of, you know, the idea of the great resignation thrown around, and, and people talk about money, right? I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this openly. I don't think money was always the only motivator in that. I think a lot of people left a lot of companies that didn't support them, okay, at a time when people needed support. I think there was a lot of people left a lot of leaders who didn't support the way they needed to work to kind of make sure kids were looked after when schools were closed. As a leader, I've looked at myself and how I lead more over the last two years than I probably ever have you know, the whole rest of my career, because I've had to adapt and I've had to break my expectations. I've had to be there for my team. And you have to be very selfless in that. And I do think one of the things that's changed fundamentally over the last two years is how we lead in pre-sales. We lead in a much more empathetic way. We lead in a much more, um, home and work have never been more blurred, you know, and that's a, that's a massive cliche, but in pre-sales, I think it's really important. We have a very high pressure job. And I think when you're jumping through, I know people in the profession that are doing seven, eight demos a day, maybe more, because they're just back to back. You know, they're not traveling in between. You think when we used to travel, you had that, what I call decompression time. I go do demo one, okay, in the morning, if I imagine I've got a one hour demo, one or two hour demo, jump in my car, drive to customer number two or get on the train, wherever, do that demo, and then I'm home. So I've done maybe two or three demos in the day, okay? You could argue they're more impactful. You could argue the customer's done more due diligence to narrow a shortlist down. So, you know, your win ratios would be high. You can argue all those things. I get it. But what's happening now is because the customer can see seven or eight people in a day, okay, because they've got more time to do that, they are. And so what's happening is you've naturally got more demo, okay, capacity to do. And so there there are pre-sales people out there just absolutely exhausted because they're at the end of the day. Amazed yeah. by that seven or eight demos. I mean, yeah, that I was a done. pre-sales leader I know who who gave me that that stat. I should yeah. say, um, but well, I was, well, we can blame them. <laughs> yeah, but, but tell me, did did you ever have a ritual before a demo when you're going to a customer? I always made sure that I got to the place early. I had a decent breakfast, made sure that I was presentable, all the rest of it, and then arrived at the customer fifteen minutes early. Always ritual. every single demo. I had a Spotify playlist, right? That was <laughs> there. We go. So, yeah. what was on the Spotify playlist? I mean, the, I these things. I if you do possibly. eight demos a day, you don't get the. You know, are no. you really in the headspace that you need to be? Yeah, I did. Just a related story to that, off on a slight tangent, which is that um, back in the day when I was doing, you know, a lot of demos and stuff, and and a lot of travelling on the road. Then in the UK, there used to be a roadside restaurant chain called Little uh, Little Chef, uh, and and a long long time ago, <laughs> Love a show, they used to do this map of the UK of where all the little chefs were. And then our, the thing we used to do was, well, we're going to meet in a little chef whereabouts, and I used to get my map out of where they all were, and I was ticking them off as well as I went. Um, you know, how many of these little chefs can we meet? And it also doesn't help with the waistline. Because um, it, it it tended not to be very healthy food, <laughs> um, but that was that was the ritual we did. We always used to meet in a little chef, and I've written uh, kind of you know I can't remember how many RFPs I actually wrote in a little chef. 
you know, on a roadside thing. Cause that's just, that was what we all used to do. We were on the road all the time. We had a road warrior. You had, a, you know, car allowances and, you know, you were, you were expected to kind of be on the road and, and you're absolutely right about the decompression thing with that. But then, but think about how inefficient it was, you know, you drive up, well, sometimes four hours to do something that lasted 20 minutes and then drive four yeah. hours back, you know, yeah. um, you know, we, now that that kind of thing still is going on people jumping on flights for four hours somewhere but but now the pressure is all about scaling you know and automating what part, what parts of the job we can do but we didn't have the technology and the automation you think back think back two three years ago right you think of the products that are available to our profession now it's nothing like what they are today and i'm only going back two years three years right I would argue things like consensus were the main tech. That was the first real bit of tech, I would argue, that we saw for our for our profession. Now you've got platforms, you know, you've got all the bid management platforms, you've got a really comprehensive stack of tech. If you had an unlimited budget, you could get a lovely suite of products together. And so the way we change and automating and giving us that time back actually makes us so much more potent if we want to be than we were two years ago. I think the thing that's changed is there's some people prepared to embrace that and step towards it. Um, there's some customers and some industries that are, and there are some industries and customers and pre-sales that can't. And so I think you've got this massive gulf now between those who are tech-enabled, okay, to go and optimize their processes, and those that are, right, I just need my whiteboard markers and my laptop and my phone in my bag. I'll jump in the car. I'll go to a little chef, like Don said, and I'll meet the prospect, right? There's there's a melancholy around that that I think will disappear over time for sure. So does that mean that experience in the profession can counts, counts for less these days? Because, or is it, so if someone says, oh, well, I've been doing pre-sales for ages. And, and of course, we're all sat here with loads of experience under our belts. So I don't want to do ourselves a, dis, a disservice. But what we had experience in before it is valuable that we've taken through to the learnings that we can apply modern methods to, but the fact that we know how to get to a customer early and we know how to present on a whiteboard, you know, that will still happen, but far less. So how are we helping the people learn and train again, new people attain those levels and older, older experience adapt it for the modern world? Yeah. I was just going to, there's this expression we used to use years ago, which just draw pulls together, you know, what we're saying now is that the, I met somebody and he said, uh, this was Tony's person. They said he had 10 years experience. When I actually saw what they were doing, they got one year's experience to repeat it 10 times. They just did it. You know, <laughs> you think we've probably all met people like that, yeah. which is, uh, well, I know enough about the job, you know, I'm productive, you know, deals get closed as a, you know, and as a, the influence of what, what I'm doing, mm. but it, it, a, a job doesn't allow that anymore. Is that it's mm. moving way too fast, and the expectations on us are huge. Well, I think that's what a, that's a fascinating question, though. That does the experience really that you've got count? And I think it massively depends. Mm. I can see arguments for and against that in the fact of for a leader, you still want someone really experienced, right? That ideally, or someone who's got that capability to show you know, that they understand that change because it's as important not to go back, okay, as it is to embrace the future. And that's where I think the experience is key, that we don't just see going and turning up to a customer as a whole new thing, okay, because we've never experienced that. Well, we know the pitfalls and we know the advantages, therefore we can make a really good assessment on when it matters. 
versus someone who hasn't got that experience. So that's where I think it really does pay off. Having said that, does that enable you to work in this whole, you know, video automated, lightweight, fully buyer enabled mentality? No, I do think that that's a very new thing. And I would say myself, I'm really embracing that idea. I would say in terms of buyer enablement, I've got a year or two's experience. You know, I've got many, many, many years of pre-sale experience, but in terms of buyer enablement experience, probably only a couple of years because it's a whole new mindset. It's a whole new thing. There's a thing going on, and it's been, again, accelerated in the last couple of years, is that if you think about what we expect of pre-sales people, you know, the, the profession and what, what encompasses the craft, it's way bigger than it ever was before, isn't it? We're now, you know... I've been talking kind of separately about, you know, how in fact, I did a poll, didn't I? I think recently about, you know, how much sales training do you need to be, be in pre-sales? And what was really fascinating is that if you'd done that survey, I think just even three years ago, you would have had a lot of people would have answered it and said, well, I don't need sales training. You know, that's the, that's the sales job. But I think there was only 3% of the respondents and it, and it got a lot of respondents. It got nearly 800 pre-sales people responded to it. What was fascinating now is that one third said, uh, I need exactly the same uh, sales training, you know, sales training skills as the salespeople get. Uh, and two thirds said uh, pretty much the same, but perhaps not closing, which I always interpret as, you know, I'll, I'll do everything else, but I don't want to talk about money. You know, I, I, I think that boils down to the fact that people are more agile than they've ever been. Yes. Yeah, because we've been through two years of what feels like constant change and depending on how open or relaxed to change you are, um, that will dictate your stance on that. But because everyone's changing, I think people are more accepting of making decisions quicker. Yeah. I think the buyers can feasibly make decisions quicker. And I think there's an advantageous um, outcome maybe when there's velocity in a deal. So if, you know, if there's so many people, the longer it drags on, because you can get everything you've done quicker. If you've automated and you've seen the product demo, you know your ROI, you've almost done your discovery, you can do that in a much shorter time frame. Therefore, why should a deal take a month or two anymore? Why can't it be done in days? So I think that compression of the sales cycle is leading to a lot of SEs maybe being in conversations that they weren't exposed to when they were there to do the demo. That was the very much so, very much so. And those conversations makes me think I'd love to see that poll that you did, Don, which was as a sales engineer, pre sales professional, what level of sales skills do you need? I'd love to do another one at some point where we ask salespeople Mm. what level of pre sales involvement they feel like they get today. I bet they are able to feel the impact and the influence of pre sales far more now than they ever were when the only interaction that they had with them was that one demo that they went and visited the customer at. I was just going to say, there's actually been a few books written about this, about the future of the tech sales profession and and about the fact that you you weren't going to survive unless you took on more of a technical role. Um, And and interestingly, the other thing is because I I see a lot of people changing jobs into pre-sales on LinkedIn, it's a constant stream of it. What's really interesting as well, you're starting to see a lot more salespeople move into uh, a technical role as well. And I I think that's an interesting kind of natural evolution in that that probably reflects what buyers actually want of people you know so i don't know whether that's called cheating or not <laughs> i don't know i mean i'll be honest on this i mean i, I probably differ from some pre-sales thing this i absolutely love some of the some of the best sales people i've worked with 
I'd still always want to work with them. I think having a really, really great salesperson by your side, there is nothing like the relationship between a good account manager and account executive or, or a salesperson, whatever you want to call, and their pre-salesperson. When that relationship is synced and it's great, that is a potent mix for all parties, the buyer included. Um you know, when I've had a salesperson that really trusts me and I trust them to do the right thing, you can make great things happen. Um, so I would say, I think there's always going to be a market for really, really good salespeople. I think they're very important. Um, but I think, is the role as involved with a customer? No, but is a pre-salesperson's role with the customer as involved in two years' time as it will be now? Probably not, because you'll be more videos. I'm doing less demos. My team are doing less face-to-face demo time than they've ever done. But the results are our win ratios are higher and the number, the revenue we generate is higher per head. So it's working. It's just the customer wants to see us less. And if I think back over the last two years, that's ultimately what we've all probably realized that time is very valuable um, and it's never guaranteed for sure. And it's an equation here, isn't it? It might've compressed the time, but you're kind of multiplying the influence that you can have with people because it's just through different medias that just didn't exist yeah. or wouldn't. Well, you're have been always on. Before. You're always on, Don. You think with the with the always on pre-sales generation, that's what we're moving to. You know that things like time zones actually become a little bit less relevant when you can send a consensus video. Why does a time zone matter? I can get a demo at three in the morning. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Well, you know, in 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 summary, I think I'm I my 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 skills of where where to stand in the room for for best effect and how to draw right into the audience um in the room you know uh basically useless now and there's a whole lot of new skills that we've all taken on and to live in the world that we do so but i do like like your point adam about using the experience that we have to inform the way in which we we learn and adapt to what we're in now. So that would be my actionable insight for, for today. Um, understand the world that we're in, um, but don't discount what you've learned on the way because applying that can be very valuable. Yeah. I think my takeaway would be, you know, if anything to learn from the last two years, it's the value of network. I think that's what we've seen most pre-sales people do, but really value that network, build a value, add network, connect with people. You can always drop a message. They can always say no, right? But... Um, just get yourself a network that almost supports you and changes your thinking on things and makes you comfortable with uncomfortable ideas. Um, not everyone I speak to a network with, we agree. And not everyone I speak to, we share the same view on pre-sales, but that's okay because that allows me to consider a new viewpoint. So that's the one takeaway I would say is talk about pre-sales with people outside of your org and get an outside-in perspective. It will change the way you see the profession for sure. That's, that's, I really like that. Yeah, and, and I think just to kind of you know close it down, I, I love this word agility. Uh, the word agility, you know, the, the fact that um, you it people always talk about being able to cope with constant change. And um, actually, when you talk to change management, people say, "Well, that's not true because you always have to you do change, and then you kind of get it in the concrete, freeze it, and then you can rechange from there." And and it's just felt over the last couple of years that, that there is there is no constant. You just got to keep changing, and you got to get comfortable with it, and and enjoy it. Enjoy this, this this constant change and taking on kind of you know new skills and new capabilities. I, I mean that that's why I'm still in pre sales is because it, that constant learning thing, you know, mastering kind of new skills, uh, you know, talking about it, learning from other people. It's it's just brilliant, you know. It's, it's energizing. If you're not getting energy from this, you're doing it wrong. 
yeah. best profession. I mean, we all, it yeah, is the, the best profession in the world. It still is. It always has been, and it always will be. That's the bottom line. And I, and I think that's a brilliant way to close the episode. So thank you very much for listening, and watch out for the very next episode from Two Cheers. Chris in the Pod. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.